welcome once again to a novel evening. As always, I'm Danny. You can find me over on Instagram and TikTok as at a novel evening podcast. And for this episode, I am joined by Eleni Kriaku, who is going to talk to me all about her book, The Unspeakable Acts of Zina Pavlo. Um, this is a story. Uh, it's based on a real story. It's based on the story of the penultimate hanging of a woman in the United Kingdom. Um, it's a historical crime novel, which I absolutely love. I'm so fascinated um, about this story, where this idea came from to develop this true story into the novel that it is now. I have so many questions for Eleni. I cannot wait to ask her all about the novel, her process of writing it. You know, the research she did on this book is going to be fascinating. And I cannot wait to see what she's going to bring to her novel evening. So a massive hello to you, Eleni. Hello. Hi, Danny. How are you? I'm good. I'm. How are you? What have you been up to? Your book is like imminent. So how is that feeling? It's it's all gone a bit crazy, which is great. Uh, no, I'm really well. Um, the book's coming out November 9th, which is very soon. Yeah. And um, last week we had some amazing news, which was that it's been chosen for Between the Covers for the mm. TV programme on BBC Two with Sarah Cox. So... I'm absolutely thrilled that it's wow. going to be part of that book club. Yeah, yeah. It was That's really a unexpected. big deal. That is a well, big deal. Yeah, I think it is a big deal. And it, what was even nicer was that I didn't know it had been entered for it. And so the whole thing was a huge surprise. So that was lovely. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I'm very excited about that. So that should go out on, um, I think it's probably going to be beginning of December, but it's the last episode of the new series that starts soon. Oh, yeah. so you get to be in the finale. Yeah, exactly. The finale. So I've already recorded my bit. And then in the studio, they're currently recording for celeb um, readers, well, celebrities who will read Ooh. my book and discuss it on TV and um, talk about it. Hopefully they'll be kind. They're usually kind. So Do you we'll know see. who's going to read it? Do you know or do you not know I that do until... actually. Yeah, they told Oh, don't give it away. That... Obviously don't. Right. Yeah, you'll get in oh, trouble. It's all... No, no, it's all been announced. It's all been oh, announced. Oh, perfect. I would say, oh, don't get in trouble. Tell him your secrets. Say, no, 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 no. It's all right. <laughs> I would tell you anyway. <laughs> but the people are... Um, so I think there's... Uh, many of them, I think if you saw them, you'd probably recognise them. There's a there's an actor-comedian called Miles Jupp. Oh, yeah. There's, I know the name. Um, did you watch Fleabag at all? Yes. Her dad, the one that played her dad, is a really great actor called Bill Patterson. So he's oh, going cool. to be reading it. Um, Ellie Taylor, who was on Strictly and is a sort of comedian TV presenter. Yeah, I know her. And the last one we screamed when we heard, <laughs> Jerry Halliwell, <laughs> which we thought was amazing because hopefully she'll bring all the viewers and that's um, ginger great. spice is gonna review your book <laughs> i know the fact the fact that a, an actual spice girl is going to read my book is i can't tell you that's like a life goal <laughs> it's great oh yeah oh my word now look first and foremost we're talking about your book we should probably dive in to what the unspeakable sure. acts of Zena Pavlou is all about. We should we should lead in with that because listeners are going to be thinking, what's this book that Jerry Halliwell is going to be <laughs> delving into? So give us the rundown on your novel. Okay, so it's a historical crime book. It's set in 1954 in London, and it's the story of a Cypriot grandmother called Zena Pavlou, who is accused of killing her daughter-in-law, Hedy. So Zena doesn't speak any English and she doesn't read or write any Greek. So when she goes to the police station, they have to mm. appoint an um, interpreter for her 
the Metropolitan Police would always appoint somebody to help the person mm. either in court or whatever. And that person is a young Greek woman called Eva. So Eva and Zena form a really strange friendship. And throughout the book, Eva is, going, is trying to figure out, did Zena really commit this awful crime? She seems like quite an unassuming woman. And yet she's sort of trying to find out, did she commit the crime? Was she in her right mind? It's basically a quite a dark twist. It's a very dark, not just quite. It's a very dark, twisty tale about um, family, it's about betrayal, it's about justice, and also about class. And yeah. it's actually inspired by a true story. So, I was going to ask, yeah. Yeah, so basically everyone's heard of Ruth Ellis, I think, yeah. the last woman to be hanged in Britain. Now this is based, well, it's inspired by the story of the woman before Ruth Ellis, six months before, a Cypriot woman called Stilu Christofi, and she was accused of killing her, um, of her, daughter-in-law and she was the penultimate woman to be hanged in Britain so um, I've used quite a lot of the original letters and fictionalized them and the court reports and things like that but basically that was the inspiration because with Ruth Ellis everyone protested in the streets and were, mm. there was a big outcry how can you possibly hang a woman but six mm. months before you know there was no such outcry so I just found the whole concept of it really interesting as to um, also about the power language, who gets a voice, who doesn't. And our yeah. interpreter, Ever is the one through whose eyes the story is really told. And she has to decide what will she, well, you know, where does she sit in all this? You know, she yeah. feels pulled in to this story and um, she feels really conflicted as to what to do because she also feels very sorry for her. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's the unspeakable acts of Zena Pavlou. I mean, a very dark, dark tale based on. Oh, true crime. it's, it's, I'm firstly, I'm such a true crime nerd. I love true crime. Obviously, I've heard about Ruth Ellis. I've listened to podcasts. I've watched TV shows, you know, of this glamorous white woman with a, her lover. And, you know, it's kind of scandalous. I had never heard yeah. of the story this is inspired by, uh, you know. And I as you say. Either. No, which is absolutely is is well, it's not wild for the time. Actually, I mean, it's and even now that that wasn't publicised for an older, you know, Cypriot woman, that's a very different scenario to Ruth Ellis. This kind of I don't know how old Ruth Ellis was, kind of thirties. She like thirties, and the person this is inspired by was she. She was fifty three, which isn't old, but you know, uh, the newspapers kind of treated her like this elderly evil mother-in-law so the yeah. whole way that she was treated the way she was treated in court that was reported in the papers they called her a stupid peasant woman I mean wow it's quite outrageous there's a big question mark over her sanity because um she was considered fit to stand trial but the doctor at Holloway at Holloway prison said that she was um insane so there's wow. like a loophole whereby you to to not be fit to stand trial is very, very unusual. You have to not mm. understand that you're in a court or you've been accused of something. So practically everyone is always fit to stand. But I mean, I hadn't heard of the story either. I came upon it completely by chance when I saw a quote from Albert Pierpoint, who's a very famous executioner yeah. in yeah. Britain. 
and he wrote in his biography, in his autobiography, he said that someone was criticising him about Ruth Ellis. And he didn't answer back, but he was reflecting on that and was thinking, well, where were all these people six months ago when I, ha when I hanged a, a 53-year-old Cypriot woman? Or don't, don't you care because she wasn't young and she wasn't glamorous, you know? So he kind of put his finger on the, on the sort of button when he sort of yeah. said, yeah, you know, this is... There, there's a lot of racism, classism attached to this, I think, and ageism as well. Yeah. So it's just fascinating. It's a fascinating story, but I've just used it as a springboard and yeah. rewritten, obviously, the story, changed the characters. And um, after, if, if you read the book, at the very end, there is an author's note, but it does contain spoilers, but it explains what's fact mm. and what's fiction in my book as well. Wow, okay. And that must be quite an interesting process because whilst you're fictionalizing it you know there are possibilities that there are still relatives so there are still people who you know it's not that long ago this case took place really were you ever kind of mindful of things like that that you were writing yeah, about a real woman but I, you were fictionalizing course, it of course I mean it's 70 years next year mm -hmm. that the that the murder and the execution took place um and um yeah, I mean, you're mindful of it. That's why it's important to fictionalise it, change the characters, mm -hmm. change events, change things. I mean, the way she's treated, I've, kind of, I've tried to keep true to what yeah. happened there and the crime itself. But there are, you know, huge chunks of it that are obviously, it's, it is fiction. It is absolutely fiction. But also, it's just really interesting to me to kind of, there was quite a lot that we don't know about the case because not all of, of it is out there. So yeah. for me, that is what's interesting about writing fiction. It's filling in the gaps, you know, thinking about yeah. what might have happened to somebody to get them from A to B, to get them to the point where they would do such a thing or what might have happened to someone, you know, if that happens to you and how would you react? And so yeah. that's where you sort of start inventing characters and it becomes really interesting when you when you take it into the realms of fiction, I think. But yeah. true, like you, I'm really interested in true things. I think they, <laughs> yep. they have a ring about them when you read them. You can kind of tell, can't you? Yeah, and I love that when you read something happens. fictional and mm. it's as though you could be reading a true story. That's what I love, is where you're, you know, you know it's fiction, but your brain, it's so believable that your brain is completely lured in. And that's definitely yeah. the vibes I'm getting from this. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, I, um, what I wanted to do is make you feel that you were really there. So it is based in, there, there are a couple of sort of, scenarios but one of them is um it, a lot of it takes place in a holloway prison but then right. the translator ever has a second job which is at the cafe de paris so you have that as well so you have the glamour of that versus the absolute grimness of what holloway a juxtaposition in, what in a, the yeah. 1950s. <laughs> i wanted to be able to describe some lovely outfits i mean yeah there's I've only done. so much you can write about the clothes in holloway prison or the food or the the gray there's only exactly. so much There's you can describe that. You must <laughs> have been Googling so many different terms for grey. What else can I call it? <laughs> exactly. There's a lot of grey. But anyway, um, yeah, so it's just about sort of building that world when you write historical fiction, yeah. building the world and making it feel believable and doing the research. You don't have to show all your research, but doing enough to feel confident that you're describing it properly. Yeah. Um, and there are so many great accounts, like there are accounts from prison officers who worked at Holloway in the 50s and what it was like to work wow. there 
diaries of women who were in prison in the 50s and so there's quite a lot to draw on actually really yeah yeah, I find that kind of stuff fascinating to the point where I'm just I'm immersed in it and then I think I better start writing so you could fall down a (laughs) rabbit hole couldn't you very quickly I'm constantly trying to climb out of them honestly (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm the same I'm on Wikipedia and I'm just end up down like and I'm like I've been here for an hour what am I doing I know I mean it is is hard it is I do get to a point where I immerse myself in research and then I have a point where I think I should probably start writing this now or start planning it or thinking about it because it's very easy to just lose so much time doing that but then you can go back and forth so if there's something you don't know you can find it out because there is a danger to just just researching you won't end up with a book and you end up with a lot of you know a lot of overwhelm as well and things you know you can end up with so many avenues to go down yeah exactly and also the you know research is only useful if if it's giving you some sort of an insight into a character or something that might happen you know the fact that you know a wall is a particular way in a prison is neither here nor there unless it affects a person who's in that prison and it's particularly cold or slimy or something you know it's not yeah it's not it's not really useful in its own right I don't think unless yeah it can if you're just describing the architecture of Holloway prison for no real reason it has to be relevant to your character or the story I think for it to really work and for people for you to take it in as a reader and not feel like oh there's a long paragraph I want to skip so my my book's quite dialogue heavy it's quite sort of mm-hmm. you know cliffhangers at the end of most chapters and I want to keep people reading I want to keep them you know engaged yeah. and so it's quite a fast read as well even though it's a it's a reasonably thick book it's not chunky but it's like you know a few hundred pages but it's um it's quite a fast read I think yeah I was also going to ask you I know very little about kind of Cypriot communities around this time within London was that something you were kind of already familiar with or was there something you know while you're researching did you find out things that surprised you um yeah I mean I'm Greek Cypriot in that my I was born in London but my parents came over in the 50s so I sort of knew a bit about that so they came over in the 50s they met and then they had my sister and then me and so I sort of knew a little bit about the Greek community here but Many people settled in, in various parts of the UK. And one of the big areas was London. You know, that's Mm. where a lot of the work was. So, for example, my mother was a seamstress. My father was a waiter, which are really typical professions for um, people coming over in the 50s. And so, yeah, I was sort of aware of that as well and delved more into sort of family history and looking at old photos and things like that. But my first book, She Came to Stay, is also about the Greek Cypriot community. And it is actually about someone coming here in the 50s and what mm. happens to her. Um, my mum came over when she was in her mid-20s and she really didn't know anyone. She knew maybe wow. one person. And I often wondered what would have happened if things had gone wrong. Luckily for her, she fell in with the right people yeah. or whatever. So these are kind of stories about what can happen when things go wrong. And they're sort of, you know, like dark thrillers about what it's like to feel really lost both sort of emotionally and geographically and that sense of home is so important it's such Mm. an anchor that we take for granted of course we do but once that goes it's like you're sort of floating and everyone feels like a bit of a stranger so who do you really trust you know trust I love all that (laughs) yeah and you know you said you know Zena is not able to speak English she can't read or write Greek and I thought that is so interesting because immediately she's at a disadvantage whatever has happened in this as soon as you are unable to communicate that makes it incredibly difficult yeah I mean the thing is she is in in the book she um 
she's living in Cyprus. Her son has left Cyprus and come here. Her son Mick has come here to to England and he's been here for 12 years. And so she decides she wants to pay a visit. She needs to get a job, pay off a debt. And so she keeps asking, can I come, can I come and visit? And eventually he says, oh, okay. And so the story begins with, well, the story begins with Ever, our translator, being called to the police cell to translate right. for this woman. We love that. But, but then <laughs> it goes back in time. And the first chapter for Zena's strand is, it just says, um, a year before the murder so that and then it counts down so by the end you have the night of the murder so you see what happens when Zena turns up on her son and daughter-in-law's doorstep and she's here to stay for a little while to make a bit of money which people would do and how how what starts as quite a sort of um a stilted sort of relationship between her and her daughter-in-law how it rapidly uh, deteriorates mm. and what really happens between them so the the story goes back and forth between what's mm. going on for the for the police and court case and then what happened a year ago to lead to yeah. the events of Hedy's death and I imagine it's quite a culture shock as well if you come over as, as an older woman to the dynamics in the UK and the family dynamics and how things would work when you're especially if you're just visiting you haven't been to necessarily the UK before it must be quite a culture shock as well for, for Zena in this book to come over and it's a different way of life I guess yeah I mean a big part of the um the frosty relationship between the the mother-in-law and the daughter-in-law between Zena and Hedy is about language and this book is mm. very much about language and about what's said and what isn't said so for example you know when you speak a language and someone is speaking something else you do assume they're talking about you you know of you course think, yeah what are they saying about me or you can't make yourself understood or you think oh she does understand she just doesn't want to so mm. there's all that going on and then you've got the idea of an immigrant who is what's known as a good immigrant so someone who kind of comes here does everything they're meant to do learns the language assimilates takes on the yep. culture which is what Zena's son and his daughter do because do. her um Zena's sorry Zena's daughter-in-law is is German so basically so they they kind of take on the British culture and try and kind of make the best of things and really love it here and enjoy being here and then you have other people who come and they stick to themselves and they don't you know they they don't necessarily take that on because if you don't have the language skills it's harder so for example my parents worked um, my father's English wasn't wasn't great but he could get by my mother's less so but my mother worked in a factory as a seamstress for many Mm -hmm. many years and so she was with other women who didn't speak English they might be in other nationalities there were Greeks Turkish all different nationalities but when you're in that environment you have no need to kind of learn the language because my father worked in a restaurant so yeah the the need is different he had a different need he also had great menu French he could tell you anything on a menu in French and all the all the drinks and everything but you know, so it's about how far into the world you're sort of, you get absorbed or whether you lose a bit of yourself as well. So that's something mm. I talk about in the book because Eva, the translator, has kind of come to terms with the fact that she's here and she's very much sort of like, she's a translator, so her language skills are great. Her husband, Jimmy, who came over later, is less so. He works in a bakery and he doesn't have the same skills as her and he feels yeah. that slightly inept and he feels a bit out of sorts he knows his 
his wife is cleverer than cleverer than him yeah. and he doesn't it's not like that's a big deal for him but he acknowledges it and he knows that if he's going to get ahead he's going to need to kind of push himself a bit more and he feels he sort of is losing something by the yeah. more English he becomes and I think that's just a really interesting subject anyway like what do you give up as your identity to take yeah. on another identity or to melt I just think that's fascinating yeah. And I think for me as a, as a reader, you know, I have always lived in England, you know, the furthest my family have come from are Scotland and Ireland. So they didn't, you know, but even then, you know, my great grandmother came over from Ireland to marry, a, a basically marry a stranger and raise his son. So she came over from Ireland, married my great grandfather, who she didn't know, and then lived in a very small, very quiet Dorset town, you know, moved her way of life. But it's when you, like you say, what do you give up when you leave your home country and you say assimilate or do you join a community that is similar to your own and remain within your own community, continuing your traditions, continuing with your language? It's a very interesting conversation, isn't it? I think it is. And also being a child of that is really yeah. interesting because, you know, people use the phrase culture gap, which is, you know, a bit of a cliche, but actually it really is a culture gap. So, you know, growing up, in a household where you spoke, where we spoke Greek most of the time, but with bits of English thrown in, yeah. when we couldn't be bothered or be, when we didn't know the word, and then going to school with our English friends who ate different food and were allowed to do things we weren't allowed to. They were allowed to go to the cinema on a Saturday, whereas we would only be allowed if one of our parents came or an older <laughs> cousin or someone. Yeah, yep. So you know, there's all that. So you grow up really feeling different. You feel quite different, but um, as as I've got older, I've I've sort of appreciated that cultural side more and have felt just more at ease with it now because, yeah. you know, it's somehow it just sort of, I don't know, I, I think I've just learned how to take that on without feeling like I'm losing part of myself in any way. Yeah, I think you grow, you have an appreciation as well, though. I think, especially I think so. if you're a teenager, you know, there's nothing you want less than being a teenager <laughs> with different food in your lunchbox. Or, you know, you can't go out with your friends in the same way. Or, or have, God forbid, having friends over and things aren't how they have them at home. It's like the piss of embarrassment, isn't it, when you're a teenager? You, exactly. When you look back, you think, God, that was awful. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you sort of just want to be like everyone else when you're a teenager. Yeah. As you get older, you realise that actually being different is an asset. And it yeah. just makes you an individual. We're all different in different ways. And this is just one of the ways we can be different. Someone might be different yeah. in another way. So. And this is a big question because obviously the book is not out yet. You're it's still in the throes of all the publication run up. But what comes next for you? Do you know? Um, do you mean which book comes next? What am I writing well, next? Maybe, yeah, mean? maybe. Well, I'm sort of writing. And when I say sort of writing, it means I'm not writing, I'm thinking. <laughs> Are you in the research hole? I'm kind of in the research hole. And then this whole house move is happening as well. So I'm meant to be moving house soon as well. But anyway, um, I'm writing a book that is, I can't say too much about it, no. but it will be based partly here, partly in Hollywood and in the 1950s. Oh. And there will be much crime of course of and course. it will be very dark and there's bound to be a Cypriot or two thrown into yeah. that as well there has to be really it's such <laughs> a rich time and as well I you know from what I've read again I'm a bit of a you know golden age of Hollywood buff but there were actors and actresses who came from you know Eastern European backgrounds or Asian backgrounds who absolutely had to hide that and yeah, have absolutely. very Anglicized names and you know you change your name 
you you can have a little bit little dose of exotic you can have dark hair and you know tan skin yeah. but let's but not, not say you're much. from <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> well, you exactly. can have all that but you you must be from you know idaho or <laughs> yeah yeah i know <laughs> Which i, I think so interesting yeah yeah and there are there's there's i just think that's fascinating as well so i mean I, that's the sort of setting i haven't mm-hmm. quite figured out the plot but I've, I've got thoughts on the plot but i'm just immersing myself in all the reading now I'm watching lots of old movies which is oh. really good i just thought i wanted to write something very different from a setting in holloway prison so i thought what could be yeah. more different than holloway yeah to be fair <laughs> That's Less kind of why I chose it. I just thought it's going to be really glamorous. There will be death, lots of death. Yeah, <laughs> it's such an interesting because crime was so rife as well. There was so much yeah. corruption, wasn't there? It's such a great time. <laughs> Funny game. As a crime writer, it's the ideal. <laughs> time to be able to write about and I do yeah. love that you're still bringing you know your Cypriot heritage into this I think that's a really beautiful thing I think I think I will anyway uh, just because I love the idea of you know having a ca- at least one if not two characters that somehow don't fit whatever is expected and what yeah. that means for them and how that can you know that can affect plots and whatever so yeah I think I would always have something mm. like that well, I'll be keeping my eyes peeled because that sounds that sounds like a bit of me as well. So just Fantastic. you and your books are just filling up my, my to be read shelf. No big that deal. That sounds good to me. That sounds good to me, Danny. <laughs> and now look, I have absolutely no idea what you're going to bring to your novel evening tonight. Um, I love a surprise, so I'm very excited. So okay. we usually kick things off by finding out where we're going to go firstly. Okay, we are going to 1954. Ooh. Café de Paris, which okay. is a beautiful nightclub that was in the heart of London, just off Leicester Square. It's very yep. smoky, smoky, glamorous. Um, lots of very wealthy people there, sort of dancing the night away, jazz bands. There was two big sweeping staircases that would lead down to the dance floor where there was a jazz quartet and sort of a wooden floor where people would dance away. It's where sort of film stars went royalty so um prince philip when and margaret would go there there was even a secret staircase at the back where they would bring um very famous people in that didn't want to be seen by people outside coming in and out or where if someone was having an affair that they didn't want getting out oh we like the scandal outside Mm. and i think they may have used that staircase as well to kick out a few people that they didn't (laughs) want there but it was kind of a, a a real hub of of Soho nightlife and I love Soho at that time so um it's very glamorous and um raucous and full of people drinking champagne and having a wonderful time really very crowded as well I'm in I think that would be great oh good good perfect a good cocktail yeah (laughs) I'm sure the canapes or whatever they have at places cocktails canapes Mm. I mean if you if you lasted to the early hours they would have these sort of famous sort of egg and bacon breakfasts that they would serve. Yeah, but most people went there and just drank and danced, but there were sort of supper tables. You know it's posh when someone calls it supper, don't you? They had supper yeah. tables. I've never had a supper in my life, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> like little uh, tables so you could get nibbles and whatever. And yeah, ooh. so in my book, Ever is actually the coat check girl at the Café de Paris. And so, ooh. you know, I just thought it'd be great if I had the night out there and um, because it's such a beautiful setting as well really really I'm there honestly that's that's the dream you get Great. dressed up in your glad rags yeah. you wear something nice 
loads of old movie stars. So Marlena Dietrich recorded an album there, Josephine Baker, the famous performer, danced there. You'd have all kinds of stars in the audience as well. So it was a place to be seen, really. Yeah, perfect. Okay. Great. So you've got to you've got to do well with this guest list. <laughs> I've got a really weird guest list. So brace okay, yourself. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, well not weird, you know, but anyway. Not, eclectic. I, what what I really wanted was just to have loads of film stars and I thought, no, it's meant to be characters. So I crossed that out. So oh. the first two people I want there would be Eva, my translator, and her husband, Jimmy, because okay. Eva is not allowed to go there as a customer. She's not allowed to dance and she loves oh. dancing. So I would love her to have a, a an amazing night out with Jimmy, her husband, because their marriage is well and truly on the rocks. Oh, so they need they're a good having night. a very, very bad time of it. And so I think, and dancing is the one thing that kind of they both love. So I think they could reconnect on the dance floor at the Café de Paris and sort of fall in love again. Um, oh, that's so yeah, cool. Yeah, so I think she really deserves a good night out. Um, so they would be the first guests for sure. Perfect. Um, that's the, yeah, they need this. And then I thought it'd be really good to have a couple of really disreputable guests. So people that are kind of really dodgy. Okay. <laughs> Just because it's that kind of place. So do you know the book Rebecca by Daphne de Maurier? Yes. I'd really like the first Mrs. De Winter. So Rebecca herself oh. to be there, who we never really meet. Well, we do meet her in the book. Oh, but she not. do well here. Because she is super glamorous. She sounds like a terrible person, but she'd be yeah. great fun as well. And I think behind her, you'd have Mrs. Danvers, her maid, sort of, you know, just constantly checking her outfit and making sure that she's okay. So yeah. um, I think Rebecca would, would be way more interesting than the main character in the yes. book, which is um, the mousy kind of yeah. woman who is never, is never named. Although she ends up being a very strong character, doesn't she? She um, does in the end. Yeah, she does yeah. in the end. She's quite infuriating to begin with, though, isn't yeah. she? <laughs> so yeah. I just think that the way that Rebecca is described and all her outfits and how glamorous she is in the book, I think she'd fit in very well at the Café de She'd Paris. sweep down that staircase. Yeah. Yeah. And she'd have some gossip. She'd have some bitching to do about other people in the room. Yeah, she'd be turning heads as well. So that would yeah. be great. Okay. Okay, Mrs. Danvers gives me the creeps. Of, she'd but... have, yeah, I know. But she'd, she'd keep all the unwanted men away. I mean, Mrs. Danvers would maybe just be sort of in the wings giving one of her looks. I can't help myself. I'm just obsessed with Mrs. Danvers. So I yeah, just want her there. She's terrifying. Some level. So, yeah. yeah. She is. She really is. So, um, and the next person is equally weird is um, Tom Ripley from Patricia Highsmith's books. So he yeah. is the sort of he's the con artist, killer, criminal in I think it's five of her books. He was in the uh, most famously the talented Mr. Ripley, and I just think that he has such a dangerous edge about him. You just wouldn't know which Tom would be turning up mm. that night. And he would be, um, he's obviously very charming. So I think he could play the part very well. But I think that he would be a really interesting guest to have, very enigmatic. And also it's one of my favourite books, so I wanted to include him. So I think I've only ever seen the film. Well. I've never read the, the book. The books are amazing. I mean, the film is one of my favourite films. I've watched it so many times. But the books are great because they are even, they feel like they're even darker. Ooh. because he's a very what you, what you know what people call unlikable characters and 
I think it just shows that you can have a really unlikable main character mm. and still kind of be rooting for him to get away with all the things he does yeah. because he does some terrible things. And oh, he'd make thinking, a beeline for Rebecca as well. He'd yeah, I know. So that would be great, wouldn't it? So you would see, you would see kind of what would happen if you put them together. That would be he'd great, have met his it? match. That exactly. would be ooh. exactly. And Mrs. Danvers would be watching on. She'd have him pegged straight, con man or not. She'd know. Oh, of course, yeah. Of She'd course. know, okay. And then I've got two characters that I think I would like that are completely different who okay. would just be for fun, <laughs> for complete fun. So one of them would be, it's not a character, he's an author, but one of them would be Oscar Wilde. Just you I can absolutely any, have authors. Anything goes here. Any, any party where Oscar Wilde is is going to just be great. And he would be like lounging somewhere and people would be around him while he's telling mad stories and yeah. he'd be having the time of his life so again Oscar I, and Rebecca yeah I just have a real soft spot for him and I think he's amazing um and then you know who I really want and I suppose she's an author because she has written books um, I really want Miriam Margoyles, who is oh my just, goodness! I mean, can you imagine her at something like Cafe de Paris, dressed up to the nines and coming down the staircase? And she'd just be letting rip, wouldn't she? She'd be so, she'd be so, so foul mouthed. Yeah, she wouldn't care. And I love is, her. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like throwing a grenade into the middle, isn't it? So I think she would be great. So I think um, her and Oscar Wilde would get on like a house on fire. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, she would be my my last character, well, the last one on my list. I did also think about Becky Sharp, perhaps, oh. Vanity Fair. She might make a good... Um, but I, yeah, I mean... I Is she one too many on the meddlers? Is it going to be one too many? I think, I think given a choice, I'd go for Miriam any day, to be honest, because yeah. I just know with Miriam you're going to have a really good time. And she's so, a yeah. wit. She would be able yeah. to go against any of these people with yeah. a bit of wit. So that's that's my list of really strange characters. I actually really love this mix. It is Thank very you. odd and unpre but I like a bit of unpredictable. Yeah. Yeah, I like the idea unpredictable of plus champagne. You know what? I would invite these people to my house, but I would no. invite them to Cafe de Paris. I would not want many of them in my house. Bar that's Miriam, who I would, but I, you know, I would but putting them there, I would. And, this is a bit uh, of a strange question for you um, because of the mix of guests that we've got. But is there anybody who's not welcome yes, at your evening? Yes, there is. I'll oh, okay. <laughs> I was thinking about this and I thought, who wouldn't be welcome? Because we've got some real types yeah. here. But the person who probably wouldn't be welcome, and I feel a little bit sad to say this, but not really, is my character Zena Pavlou from my book. And the reason is Zena is devout religious woman who's very judgmental quite yeah. harsh has had a very tough life and is ready to scold anyone and she wouldn't even make it past you know she wouldn't even come down the stairs she'd think the whole thing is awful and yeah just unholy so um she would definitely not not fit no that's <laughs> sure. very I think that's a very fair reason as well yeah. Yeah. I think I'd great, you know, I think having Miriam, Oscar, Tom Ripley, <laughs> yeah. she'd be like, no, <laughs> absolutely not. I don't think Zena would want to be there either, you know. <laughs> so I think it you're actually doing her, a, yeah, you're doing her a favor, her a favor, not like her. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing her a favor. Well, look, I, I love this evening. I think it's absolutely <laughs> wild. It's chaos could come from anywhere. I know, let's hope so. 
which I adore. <laughs> and now look, before I let you go and relax for the rest of your evening, are you reading anything at the moment? I am halfway through a book called The Housekeepers by Alex Hay. <gasps> I've read it. Have you read it? I have and read it. I know Alex because we did a course together years ago. But... No way! Yeah, and I have to say it is such good fun. So you know what it's about. It's about a group yeah. of housekeepers who decide they're going to pull off a major heist in a huge Park Lane um, house. And it's all the planning that goes into it. And I'm about halfway through it and I'm loving it. And I don't sleep particularly well. And so in the morning, sometimes I might wake at four or five and I think, never mind, I'll read my book. And I literally yeah. get up and go next door and read. And I actually don't mind the insomnia at the moment. Uh, so I'm loving that. And there's one other book I have to mention, which is amazing, which I've just finished reading. It's called The House on Rye Lane. And oh. it's out in January, actually. I was lucky enough to get proof. And it's by a writer called Susan Allott. So I think that's A-L-L-O-T-T. And it's a really, it's, it's current day, more or less, or sort of recent, sort of. And it's um, it's a really creepy, gothic-y story about this big old house and the three families who've lived there and what happens in the secrets this house holds and Ooh. I have to say it's one of the best books I've read in a really long time really genuinely addictive so I really recommend that it's out in January oh I imagine that's late. the list I'm yeah, I'm quite yeah, a wimp with really creepy good. but you've sold me but it's not creepy in a kind of shock shock way it's just very it's beautifully written because it's quite understated it's just a real atmosphere of menace mm. and I think that's why it works so well great writing Ooh. both those books so the housekeepers yeah and, and the, the housekeepers I did not know what was going to happen I have to say I was don't left tell guessing. me because no it's, it's such a great <laughs> yeah it's such a great plot and I think Alex has yeah. woven it so well yeah it's a great book isn't it yeah so and well it's really good fun but you'll have to message me when you finish I will message I will. me and tell me if you were right <laughs> Okay, I've got so many things going on in my head as to what could be happening. And yeah. I think I'm overthinking it. I just want to read it. So yeah, we'll Ooh, see. Yeah, pop me a message when you're done. And look, Eleni, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so, so much for joining me this evening. I've had the best time. Thank you, me too. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Novel Evening. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed making it. Please remember to go over and rate, subscribe and review wherever you listen to your podcasts and check us out on Instagram at A Novel Evening Podcast and over on TikTok under the same name and we'll see you next week. Bye bye.